Hey guys, um, stoked to announce that Revelation Records will be sponsoring the next five podcasts, five episodes with Revelation Records. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you for the amazing soundtrack of my youth. Uh, Revelation Records has put out some of those classic hardcore records in history. Uh, some of the most iconic photos by BJ Pappas are on most of those albums. And most of my friends' bands have put records on Revelation Records. Um, a lot of hardcore history. And I'm super stoked that they're part of the One Life, One Chance podcast for the next five episodes. The ad is coming up next, and it's fucking loud, and it's awesome. <laughs> hey, this is Sam Sumataro. I sing for a band called Drain from Santa Cruz, California. I'm here to tell you about our debut record called California Cursed, now available on Revelation Records. This summer, we're going on tour with Go to revelationrecords.com for more, and here's four seconds of what we sound like. <laughs> I'm stoked to be part of the Revelation family. Let's take the remaining 26 seconds to dive into what it means and what's up at Rev. Revelation kicked things off in New York City in 1987 with Warzone, Lower East Side Crew. After that, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Judge, Inside Out, Chain of Strength, and many more. The times changed in the early 90s, and Rev was there with artists like Quicksand, Texas is the Reason, Far Side, and Into Another. There's new music from World Be Free, Constant Elevation, Urban Sprawl, Dare, and reissues of the classics from Inside Out, Side by Side, and Orange 9mm. Check out the Spotify playlist series. Ah! It's all at revelationrecords.com. Is this new Is this new for you? Oh my god, yeah, it totally is. Uh, I, I drank coffee for the whole month of December, and it made me totally insane. My, wi- my wife loved it. She's like, oh my god, it's your first drug. I love seeing you addicted to something. <laughs> And um, it would make me like totally hyper and dehydrated and then like have to take a nap. And then I quit it on January 3rd. And then on my birthday um, in April, my son's like, have a coffee with me. It's my birth- your birthday. And I had a coffee and it just totally fucked up my birthday. Um, <laughs> so uh, now, now, now since I'm on lockdown, like who cares? And he won't even care anymore. I'm just going to whatever drink coffee. I, I, I like it. I, I like it, you know? I saw- I went the other way, man. I went the other way. I was, I've been, let's see, I gotta say 30 years of drinking coffee probably. Damn. And I, uh, I, I, I finally stopped in February. It's and, a, um, wow. It's been rough. It was rough for a while there. Headaches and stuff. Headaches, like total withdrawal, like real withdrawal symptoms, you know? But I thought, like, the thing was, I thought, like, oh, okay, now I'll I'll sleep great. Mm. And it, and it it took like, I think it took like two and a half months before like that part kicked in. I thought it would be like immediate. So what is your new thing now to drink? Like just tea or something? Yeah, no caffeine at all. Wow. So like I'll have like herbal tea. So I'm like I'm off off. We'll see how long it lasts. And you feel better? You feel different now? I don't know, but I do think this is like. If I was, I think if I was home, like stuck home like we are now, and I was yeah. drinking as much coffee as I did, I'd yeah. be going, I would, I'd be going crazy with worry. I'd just be fueling all this worry that I have naturally. Yeah, it gives you anxiety kind of, right? Man, like it gives me this weird, like I love that it, what do I love about coffee is it like makes you energized to be creative it makes you energized to do it kind of just narrows your focus and supercharges it i agree i'm gonna i'm gonna get this done but yeah. but then when there's like 
comma, so what? Like right now, what are you going to get done? And like, for what purpose? Yeah. Like what, that's, that's so urgent. Like if there's something that gets done, let's enjoy it. Something needs to get done. Like let's take a while on it because there's nothing else to fucking do. True. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm happy about that. But the other weird thing is I stopped, like I have these anxiety meds I've been on for a couple of years now. And I was like, well, you know, I was talking to my doctor last year and I was like, I'd really like to like get off those. He's like, all right, let's write a plan. It was like a weaning plan. Wow. And I like it. I like am almost off them and I, I'm, I'm basically off them. That's amazing, but, man. So this is the true test because shit is, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling tense right now. Totally. I, I, I'm excited because they just announced that Runyon Canyon's open and Runyon Canyon, besides seeing my friends and get, going out to lunches and go to my favorite food spots, that's like my, that's like my salvation. Like live, Runyon Canyon's my favorite hike spot. I bring my dog there every day. It's, it's my ritual it's my daily routine and it just opened and I'm going to go there today. There's like a new thing where there's like a capacity now there and you go and you wear, you have to wear a mask again. There's Rangers there. I just want to check out the vibes. I'm not sure if I'm going to get into it fully every single day. Like I used to do, I'll wait a couple weeks, but I want to see what it's like, like right now, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's um, like the compliance there with people pretty high. Cause it's not here in Tennessee. People here are like, masked up i mean you can see by the numbers and people saying that california is a state that people are kind of looking at for the ones that really flatten the curve if you would say and um all the and we're like spread out over here we're like we're not on top of each other it's pretty spread out but yeah it seems like california did really well with that like the numbers are showing that um but i don't even know anymore dude i read so much shit i we i have so many friends that like either conspiracy theories into that or they don't believe it or they have friends who've had it like i don't know anybody personally like it's a, a close friend that had it. i know friends of friends who've had it so there's just so much information it, it, it's just it weighs on your mind and for three months you're just reading all this stuff man it's just it's so much to I, take in man I, I mean the conspiracy theories and all that stuff <clears throat> the va- validity of the theory notwithstanding I'm not. I'm not calling people into question for like wanting to hunt up a theory and like get educated themselves. Yeah. But I think people are like starting like with the opposite of the scientific method. Mm. Like they're stating their belief and then finding all the evidence that points to that. Yeah. Instead of just like finding the evidence and seeing where it points. Yeah. And honestly, you know that they might be right. They might be wrong. I mean, I think the evidence is stacked in the like this is a natural occurrence. It's unfortunate, and we have to band together to be smart about this as a society and a world society. Yeah. Um, but you know, you also like sort of need comfort, and so what I where I'll like lighten up on judgment instantly with people is when they when they when they're looking for just some some kind of comfort. Yeah. And like, so if, if they're like. This could, this has to be, like, there's that one. Oh, well, let's not talk about this specific. I don't want to talk about the specifics. I hate giving all like credence when I'm talking to my friends to these things. I, I don't, I, I don't know enough about them, I guess, to even, but you know, there's ones that say yeah, it was, made, it was totally. accidentally leaked from a factory yep. somehow, you know, yep. for back, bad practices. Like that one is at least like, there's some, it's plausible. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that happened, but I doubt that it happened, frankly. I don't think it happened at all, but at least it's a plausible one. Yeah. Um, and if that like, it's like, that's the big, the big scary monster in the room for the people that need one, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, dude, the world's just scary. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And they need some comfort there. That's fine. Yeah. But the fact is, is like, it's here, you know? Yeah. It's nothing we do. We're, so, like, like, like we're all on lockdown. The economy's fucked. doesn't matter what you do. You're at home. Like there's nothing. You do. These are the, these are what's happening now. It doesn't matter what you believe, who you voted for. If you think it was a bat, if you think it was chemical warfare, whatever you believe, we're all in this together right now. We're all like sitting at home. You know what I mean? We it's, are. It's kind of, we it's, are. Um, and, it, and it's like a great equalizer, you know? So we all have to behave the same way, like whether you're – not that they do, but like we all should yeah. be re, re, re behaving the same way whether you're super rich or you have nothing. Yeah. Whether you – you know, it it doesn't care about it's a virus. It doesn't care about races. It doesn't care about genders. It doesn't care about um, uh, it doesn't care if you're straight or gay or yeah. anything else. It doesn't it doesn't care about your belief system at, at all. Nothing. Um, no. But then what bothers me then is like, okay, so if why let's just all kind of like agree that this is uncomfortable and do it together. Mm-hmm. As a like stand like this the, the grandstanding that I'm seeing like I wear a mask and where I live. I think this is probably different than where you live. I think people get the side eye where you live if they're not wearing a mask. Yeah. But people get the side eye here if you are wearing a mask. I'm not saying people are like, fuck this guy. Hey, what's your problem? I mean, I've never been called out. Yeah. But I've been made I think people inadvertently without meaning to are making me feel uncomfortable for kind of going along with the the rules that are in place. Yeah. I don't know. It's anyway, but that's not that's without judgment. Everybody's scared. To- totally. And, yeah, some, I'm scared too. Yeah, somebody called me out. They're like, "Oh, I thought you were punk rock. You were in a mask." I'm like, "Yo, I have a kid, and my kid's scared yeah. too." And I'm setting an example, and I'm, I'm I'm being good to my community. You know, I, we've been, you know, my wife's been tested, my son's been tested. It's like I know we're healthy, but just out of respect for other people, it's just a mask. You know, I wear it. I don't like to wear it, but I wear it because I'm trying to be good in society with my community and be respectful of others and people that could. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not a big deal. Yeah, I don't see what's not punk about that. I mean, I don't. I don't imagine a giant fucking lip ring is like uh, comfortable, <laughs> like a spacer on your lip. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. what about trying is not punk rock? Mm-hmm. I don't get that. I know. It's just like I, I don't know. It's people they're like you should read it. And I mean, I've read everything. I've read s- so much stuff. I'm just like done reading about it. And I want. I just want to. I'm excited to go out and go hiking and just ease back into normal life hopefully how long that's going to take or what that's going to look like but but as far as like music's concerned in the future of that that's a little bit stressful daunting right now the the the, this landscape is hard to see we don't we just don't know like guys like you and me that that live a different life than than we are right now like most people are used to being home at least home every day not like the home the entirety of the day but they are in their home every day yeah i think you and i have been spent our lives like not understanding what that's really like even though we've had stretches of it in our life totally and so that's been a little bit weird for me and like obviously like my livelihood Mm -hmm. is in question for well that's the question when will how long is our livelihood going to be a question yeah um, they just announced phase three here. I guess phase four is concerts and stuff. I don't know when it's going to happen. I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if the first show is going to be amazing or it's going to be totally strange and only a certain amount of people allowed to be in a venue or six feet apart or. No, uh, I, I, well, I guess it'll be both, won't it? Yeah. It'll be, it'll be weird as shit, but it'll be amazing because at least it's a show, you know, but yeah. it'd be so weird. Yeah. 
But people are probably so excited. I mean, I'm sh- I don't know. I'm sure people are so excited to see a live concert. And and it definitely, I, I never took it for granted. And I appreciate it. I love touring. I love being able to do music. And but this, I've never missed it so much in my life, man. And you know when you go on tour and you're like, you're so excited to go on tour and you get on the road and you're like, damn, I miss my wife and my kid. I love what I do, <laughs> but I want to be home too. And now we're home for such a long. And I was like, oh my god, I just I do anything to play a show, man. I just. Were you out on the road? Did you get pulled off the road? I wasn't on the road, but I had all these. I had like my 50th birthday shows in New York. Three shows sold out. Two in New Jersey, one in New York. And then we had these six shows of Gorilla Biscuits all sold out in California. And that's just gone. And then I moved my shows to July. And as of yesterday, the promoter's like, we're not canceling the shows in July. We're going to see what happens. It could change. It could not. And then maybe we'll just move them again. But. It's just, and then we had our summer Europe tour. We go to Europe every summer for festivals for three weeks. I bring my son. It's the first time ever in 25 years I'm not going to Europe for a summer tour. So, but um, yeah, man, it's just, yeah, I wasn't on the road when it happened, but did you have a lot of stuff planned for this this year? Yeah, so we were pulled off the road. We were, mm. it's, it's our 20th anniversary of the band for us. Okay. So we had an 18-month plan. and. Wow. Uh, about a quarter of that was already on sale and most of it was sold out already. And we were yeah. on a sold out tour. Like the, the first leg was the U S yeah. the first U S tour. We had three U S tour plans, the rest of the world, Canada. Well, as if that's not the rest of the world, but you know, uh, we had a <laughs> yeah. Canadian run. Uh, and then I had a, the Southeast Asia I had Europe, Australia, uh, you, you name it everywhere. Yeah. South America. Um, it was all routed, booked, and completed. And some of it wasn't on sale or announced. Some of it was, but yeah, we had the whole thing going, and it was. Uh, and we intentionally. This is the tough one for the, like, just being. You know, being in a band, it's like running a mom and pop small business. Yeah. So, um, I have people that work for us. You do too. Mm-hmm. That we want to take care of. Of course, we have our own families and we have everybody has their own families yeah they i'm concerned about them they're part of our extended family and my own and um so it's been a that was a that was a tough blow because we had taken knowing we were going to go so full bore on this 20 year uh anniversary yeah we we didn't work hardly at all last year Okay. We, we stayed home almost all of last year. I mean, we were working a lot. I made a record that will now probably come out next year. Um, <laughs> I made a record and not, you know, wrote and recorded a record. I, I have made a, um, we did a ton of like festivals, Yeah. but not a proper, but not any proper tours. We just tried to stay out of people's faces for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was a, it was an, it was a scattershot year and I had to like, you know, pull from this to pay for that to make sure everybody got paid and was yeah. employed and nobody backslid. And um, I didn't expect, <laughs> I didn't expect this year yeah. to hand us the same thing, but you know, Hey, that's a problem that everybody, everybody in the world is facing. Like totally. And so I guess that shared concern has given me relief. Like it's not just me, everybody's doing so well. And I'm like, I can't seem to find work. That's not, we've all been in that place. Yeah. And this is, this isn't that it's certainly a concern. Yeah. And I'm worried, yeah. just like most people. But hey, man, we, we're all in this. We're all feeling this thing. It's communal, and it makes it a little bit easier to deal with. Yeah. It's not like they just cancel music and that's it. That was the only thing affected was like playing live show. You know what I mean? It's like it's everything. So, 
but that's been the biggest blow. I gotta be honest with you because I know you still do, and I still just I I go to shows all the time. I yeah. love shows. Yeah, it just whatever that thing that got its fingers in me when I was a teenager, it just never let go. And so, like, where do you turn when you're when that's your relief? Like, not play, not I'm not talking about playing by yourself, your own show on stage. Yeah, so, you know, I go every every week. There's three shows I go to, and yeah. uh, maybe more some weeks. You know, I live in a great show area so do mm-hmm. you yeah. and so and always have you know well not always have but you know when i once i moved to florida i that was like part of my culture from i don't know 15 16 on yeah and that and that 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 part of my like the therapy of live music is gone yeah so that's a little tough yeah it, it's it's interesting like you you don't realize how much effect it has on you just going to be in a crowd of people going with your friends going to see new music or going to see bands that you loved you don't you don't think about that because we have so many shows. That sometimes oh, I'm not going to go to that show tonight, or I'll go to that one, or you know what I mean. Not we take it for granted, but there's so many there's so many shows happening where we live, and now it's just like damn, just if I could have one of those, or yeah, it's like yeah, like you you like want to see every show, but you, you just can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a treat we didn't realize, you know. Like, all, oh yeah, I'll just catch them next time because of course they'll be back in three months, you know. Or all, no, now yeah. No. Or all those shows you miss, like when you were on tour and your friends came to town. Oh, I missed that show. I was on tour, yeah. like, like all that stuff. Like, well, well let's let's get, let's let's get to you growing up because you just mentioned that too, and that's all my stuff here. But um, um you, were you you were born in uh, Connecticut? Yeah, I was born in Connecticut, and uh, I was like really close proximity wise because Connecticut's so small to so much of the great music that was happening in Connecticut, yeah. New York, yeah. and and Massachusetts. But I didn't know it until I left. Until you left? Wow. Until I left, I was like, I grew up in like West Hartford. Well, I went to school in West Hartford. Um, I kind of grew up in different places around Connecticut. Yeah. And, um, but basically the Hartford area, um, I would say like there was, it was just like, it was, it was a city, but not a big city. And it, it just wasn't a place where like, it was one that kind of got skipped over. You'd think because it's a city, like the yeah. shows in Connecticut would go to that city. Yeah, there just wasn't a spot for that. Now there's like the Webster, mm-hmm. but there area, wasn't. Yeah. There wasn't. Yeah, when I was a kid, there was. So you had to go to Toads in New Haven. Toads place, yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, or you had to go to New London, or you had to go into Massachusetts, and and um, yeah, I didn't really even though I was starting to kind of get into punk rock, mostly through metal and hip hop. Nice. And like, you know, the, the t-shirts you might see like these guys wear in a magazine, like, wait, what's that band? I've never heard of that band. Yeah. And you'd go and you'd go to the record store and finger through some stuff and find a cool clerk to tell you something. I had that going for me, but it just wasn't even, even though I was a skater, it was like those guys all listened to like the dead and, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and like Hendrix. And yeah. it, they were like, they were like, you know, smoking a lot of weed and maybe that's part part of the music culture they were into is the weed because i think like the weed predicated the the skate the music culture and i wasn't into that stuff like the drugs and drinking didn't interest me yeah um i was young i was green and i was hanging out with older kids and like there was an element of like freedom and danger to that but that seemed like oh well yeah that's that's maybe a bridge too far yeah I don't know what it was in me that just felt like oh, I, I'm not comfortable with that. But I didn't know about the straight edge scene. I didn't know that like, oh, there's like a cool 
brotherhood or sisterhood of you know a family mm-hmm. vibe to this this thing called straight edge. I didn't know anything about that. It was just like, oh, guess you know I'm a fucking dweeb. Yeah, I don't do that <laughs> shit. You know? Yeah. So, but I moved. My my folks. My mom got a job in. Uh, was it my stepdad? No, my mom got a job in Florida. Yeah. And kind of abruptly moved us. And it was. I did, I gotta say I went. I gotta be honest with you, Toby. I wasn't like that gracious. Mm. I mean, I don't know what 15, 16 year old kid is super gracious about. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like I, I got yanked. Out. I was a total misfit in school. I got like fucking beat up all the time. I got uh, in all these fights. I got ostracized only almost com- completely based on two factors. One, I was born with two color hair and still have it, you know, and I, um, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I got this like when I keep it short, it's hard to notice. But like now my hair is long. You can see mm-hmm. I've got this big like blonde streak in the middle of my head. Which, like, you got to remember, like, the movie Grem- Gremlins came out when I was a kid. And, like, oh, so I yeah. got called Stripe from then on. And, wow. you know, it was just fine. It's, like, not that mean of a nickname or anything like that. But it was yeah. just, like, pilot, pilot on. You know, I was, like, let's face it, dude. I was, like, an artsy kid. I was probably a little, like, cerebral. Didn't, like, I didn't, I played some sports, but I didn't, like, fit in. Yeah. But then I started skateboarding, which, like, I know a lot of people that listen to your podcast are our age, but a lot of them also aren't. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for guys like from like probably I don't know late thirties up, they know that like skateboarding was seriously not the way to get girls. Was seriously not cool. <laughs> I've heard you talk about this on the podcast too, for sure, and in real life. You know, I know yeah. that you skated, and like it was like not this. Yo, those guys skate. How? Let's go talk to them. No totally. way, man. Yeah, we're just like these dirty like. Like, you know, you'd have like, you know, asphalt and tar stains all over your clothes. You're sweating. <laughs> the, the tricks were, they were, everything was different. You know, things were hard and yeah. and you, there was no credit given to them. You know, like no reward other than the skating itself. And, and I, but I found my identity, man. So right before we moved, I like, I had really started skating. So a few things happened at once. I like, really started skating and I got good really fast. Nice. It is a, that's the first thing that ever like just naturally unfolded for me. Yeah. And if, as a guy who like, as a kid who like grew up like looking for my thing, cause I knew it wasn't going to be like other people. Yeah. I just wasn't able to make friends in that way. I wasn't lonely. I'm not trying to put it off like that, but you know, like yeah. I just was a weirdo. I was like, once I found my thing later as being like this songwriter and musician and counterculturist in some fashion. I found all my people, man. There's so many of us. Yeah. But you don't know that when you're growing up in a basically small town adjacent to a dead city. Yeah. Do you have brothers, um, brothers and sisters too or no? Yeah. Yeah. I've got like a big like 90s style family with like full blood brothers and sisters, full brothers and half sister and step brothers and sisters and oh, wow. all that shit, you know, like, but it, but it, but my, I have one full brother. Yeah. And then, so he and I have obviously the, the longest history together, but it was my stepbrother that brought the skateboard into the house. And I was like, check this out. That's cool. Started skating with him, Bill, you know, yeah. like Nick, Nick and I, my full brother, Nick and I, like we, we we're inseparable to this day. Like awesome. there's, we're extensions of each other's minds, you know? Yeah. Um, I wish I was as smart as that kid, but you know. <laughs> well, did, what are you gonna do? Did, did music did music come with the skateboarding or the punk music came yes. after skateboarding? So it came after, but kind of during because Bill, my stepbrother, was also 
kind of had a guitar. I think he had a guitar, but felt like we always borrowed shit. But I think he had his own guitar. He did. Yeah, yeah. he did. Oh, he did. He had a Carvin. It was like a super metal guitar. Nice. And um, and he was into like Sepultura and um, I think all the thrash stuff. Yeah. You know, like Metallica. Oh, you know, old Metallica was still super thrash. Yeah. And um, speed metal and that kind of stuff. And my brother and I were into the hip hop that we were exposed to because it was so happening at that time, but it's still like we went to a heavily integrated school. Yeah. And, and so I don't know the, I, I hate the way this sounds, but like, I don't know. We, we didn't choose that. We were like, most of our friends were the black kids. It wasn't like, Oh, well, you know, we're, you don't choose, you kind of don't choose your friends based no. by that when you're no. obviously ever in your life. No. But somehow or another, like it wasn't you know, by, by virtue of like which bus we were on yeah. or which, or which classes we were in, we ended up with most, I guess both of us, most, mostly black friends. So that was our influx of musical, gotcha. um, of music. And, uh, so, so we were getting, we were like borrowing tapes from those kids and mostly their older brothers and sisters we're giving it to them and we're like just giving it down to the rest of us. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you, you were so close oh, to New York too. Yeah. So like, but I didn't know like that's where all this was coming from. Gotcha. And I, I venture to guess like a lot of this stuff, if it's like, if, if it was their older brother or sister that was giving it to us directly, they would have given us the history. Yeah. Like, Oh, this is from this area. And it's like influenced by this. Or that. But instead it was just like my bro- my brother said, listen to this. Let's go listen to it. And that's it. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get just a piece of the story. So I had like this, I had one or two pieces of the puzzle, five or six pieces of the puzzle, but I didn't have the whole picture. But it was super fun. It was like, you know, this um, deep dive. Yeah. And we loved it. We yeah. loved it. I love the, um, I can hear the influence of those days and the fact that, well, I can hear it all over punk rock, but especially like the hardcore scene. Yeah. It's so evident to me, especially in the cadence of the lyrical delivery. Mm-hmm. And that's true of mine too. I think where it's like a little bit rapid fire, a lot of words, a lot of fucking words, a lot of words. Didn't realize till much, much later, you don't always need so many words, mm. but they sounded like, you know, the, almost like a drum kit to me. Yeah. yeah. So I like that bit. Yeah. But the skateboarding and the music and, Oh, and my, uh, my cousin was, um, cleaning out her, her, her basement for her dad, her dad sent her on this, I think punishment to clean out the basement or yeah. something. And, and her best friend who I had this massive crush on, <laughs> uh, they, they went downstairs and they cleaned it out and they pulled out a guitar and the cut and the friend said, you know, I think your cousin Chris would want to play that. Nobody knows where this guitar came from, Toby, you know, like the, yeah. nobody in my family ever played any instruments. My mom played like classical piano, but nobody yeah. played any, any guitar that I'd seen. Yeah. And they, and they pulled me upstairs and they, they gave me the guitar and they were like, try to play something. And I didn't know what to do with the thing. And wow. I remember the, the friend put a violent femme song. On. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, love violent femmes. Yeah, me too. And, um, blister in the sun was the song. Yeah. Um, it was on a probably a cassette single. I got to imagine. Yes. And, uh, I just played it like it just I sounded out a couple of notes and then I was oh you do this and I was like oh I guess that's that's this is how people learn I'm sure right that's how I have no concept right yeah yeah 15, probably 14 or 15 it's awesome maybe 13 13 14 15 and I played that out and 
they kind of looked at me amazed. But to have like a girl look at me amazed for something, <laughs> yeah, yes. it was like, yo, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I want to do this. It was, dude, it was, you want to talk about a gateway drug. <laughs> yes, that, was, totally. that was a moment for me. And, you know, I don't even mean that in a misogynistic way. At I know, all. I know, you know, I, I know. Some, it's like it's, I don't think it's misogynistic when you can't get girls ever. Yeah. And you, and some girl gives you attention for the like first time you've been dying for this girl. It was just this moment of like it wasn't like I'm gonna use this. It was yeah. just like oh, this is the piece I need to to like give me the confidence to be normal yes. and approachable and yes. maybe approach people like not just girls, just like I could be maybe I can communicate through this thing, mm. which is the big thing, right? Yes. So you anyway, so you're all so, you're all self taught. You didn't take any lessons after that. No, I didn't. Oh, I did take lessons. Okay. But it was like in my in like 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 when I was like thirty, oh. I decided like oh you know a piece of the puzzle I skipped here that like tell me I've never missed or anything like that was like taking lessons and I didn't even so much want the lessons but I was like I wonder what it felt like to go and be like that twelve year old kid that goes and sits and wait to be called at the music store <laughs> so I went I went and I took a few lessons and I sat next to the music the guys at the music store and it was cool like that store had posters up that like. I mean, the first thing I saw when I walked into like the little lesson part was this giant like newfound glory poster That's staring awesome. at me. Just like it's like, well, you know, if all things being equal, like I grew up with these kids, yeah, and uh, yeah. their faces they're facing me on the wall, and I and I, you know, like we've done okay together, and you know, but this is cool. So I did I did several I did a, few, a handful of lessons with these guys, and I totally learned a lot. Like That's they cool. it was simple stuff like. Like, hey, this is pick articulation. Hey, you've got everything down here. What are you doing here? But let's 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 focus on some mechanics. Yeah. But it was fun to like kind of sit with these other like I'm a nerd with these other nerds like just trying to figure out. Yeah. Oh yeah, what what are we? What are you going to study this this week? Cool. Oh yeah, I've got this. I did my homework. You know, I was awesome. psyched. Yeah. And uh, and then when I remember like the, I was like, hey guys, you know, I just I, I enjoyed this exercise. I, I said to the instructor and the and the um. And the owner of the place, I'm like, you know, I appreciate this. You guys have been playing a long time. This has really helped. But, you know, I think I'm going to do self, continue with self-study. And they were like, cool. Does that mean we can put your poster back up? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they had pretended not to know who I was at all. That I is cool. That was, pretty, that was pretty sick because they knew what I was there for. And they, they allowed me to do it. That, but that was great. So when, when you moved from Connecticut to Florida, were you super bummed? I was super bummed. Yeah. I had started dating that girl. Oh, wow. Okay. And I nice. was like, really like love in a way that you can be when you're young, you know? Totally, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I was, I was like, I was busted up about it. And I'd, I'd be real honest, I wasn't really nice about it with my, my mom, my ever-suffering mm -hmm. mother, who's like so kind and like the greatest. And, and like all she's done her entirety of her life is like try to raise our, our, our station in life and give us a quality of life that's better than she started with when she had us. She's done an incredible job of that, man. You know, like mm -hmm. we were, like we never knew we were poor. We never knew it. That's amazing. And I yeah. think if I and like and when we weren't poor anymore, when we were just like regular, maybe lower middle class, like there was no big difference. Yeah. And and you know my and my mom just kept working and working and working and and she you know she's a tiny little lady and she rules with an iron fist. Yeah. And she had all these boys and she you know she had this like I said real '90s family dynamic and so she became like this. You know, I can remember her like railing against my brother Bill, who's like over six feet tall, and my, my tiny mom pointing in that, that finger in his face, like, Damn. "Hey, try it, try it, kind of come on, come on, try it." 
and you know the lessons we learned from the my Italian mother, you know, who, awesome. my Italian mother who yelled at us in Spanish. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I was I was saying my apologies, mom. You were right. You were right. The move was great for the family. Yeah. And I I should have been easier. And I came clean pretty pretty soon after. I said because I moved to Florida and I was like I had just fallen in with the skaters. I really started developing a heavy appreciation for, for um, hip hop and like, cool. and like maybe some of the, maybe some of the punk rock stuff was kind of like getting in through the, the hip hop connection. Yeah. Um, and I had one, one kid that, that did give me like just before I moved, cause we moved right, like right in the middle of the summer. So like the last week of school, last couple weeks of school, there was this kid who, dude, you're gonna love this this kid who was like, Hey, you look like you like music. And he was in the back of the bus. I never sat in the back of the bus. It wasn't cool. <laughs> and I wasn't a senior. And this guy's like, come back here. Let's talk. And we talked about, I talked about hip hop. And then he was like, well, what about punk rock? I was like, well, you know, I've heard like agent orange and TSOL. Yeah. And, uh, and, I've, and I've heard the sex pistols and I don't think I had like, any records are theirs and yeah. it was really rudimentary stuff and he was like well check this out there's a, there are other bands in the world like that are less world renowned that are like just as important and and he kind of is like you know he gave me a few names i wish i could remember which bands they were but i remember seeing the names again later when i got to florida and i started really getting exposed to it. oh this is what he was talking about so he planted this seed the other one was he was like you should also listen to Dylan man because you got to listen to these guys that like came in and shook up the culture because that's punk rock before there was punk rock mm. and I was like but Dylan but like my mom likes Dylan he's like yeah <laughs> but that doesn't mean she wasn't counterculture I was mm. like, your mom's maybe maybe just a mom not just a mom but you know like you know and you know walking her walk right now yeah but you know in in her youth she may have been super counterculture it gave me a new appreciation for my mom that's cool and so but that guy is this super mega producer now in in um hollywood and he makes uh the good place and brooklyn 99 and oh wow he was one of the executive producers of the office and partly created parks and rec and he played cousin moe's on the office that's crazy and so are you still are you still friends with him no man i haven't seen him since since high school i know he wouldn't remember me from adam that's, that's why i wouldn't crazy. like bother him with like hey you're famous. We knew each other for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, hey, would it be cool <laughs> if you remembered that? Cause there's no yeah. way he remembered that, but I see him on there and I'm like, I know that guy, you know, I know that that was the guy. That is really and cool. Honestly, I, and honestly, like uh, the other memories are hazy. Was it the bus or was it the gym? Mm -hmm. Was it this or that? But yeah. the guy himself was really clear to me. Cause I remember like, because I have the yearbook. Yeah. So you have to prove it. I, like, <laughs> I went and looked it up like before he was even famous. Uh, like when I was like living in Florida, I would like flip through my yearbook because it was just the only way I could connect with my old friends. And I'd see his face and be like, that's the dude. Anyway, he that's went wild. on to be awesome. That's so really I moved cool. to Florida. I'm like 15 or 16. And it's almost instantaneous paradigm shift because totally. I get to Florida and skateboarding's been cool for decades there. Yeah. Famous Not cool the way, like, not, yeah. I still didn't, although parks were closed when we moved there, it was that, that dip, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I still, I still don't know how to skate parks. I can skate the hell out of street. I can do I can like, I look at a gravelly staircase with a terrible run up 
and like just nothing but gravel in the bottom. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's skate here. But That's I go awesome. to like the smoothest skate park and I'm like, uh, what do you, uh, what do you do? <laughs> I think it was, is it a Kona? It's Kona skate park there or something. Kona. I don't even know. Cause yeah. there was like where I lived, there was no, it was, cl- everything was closed there. Like, cause it was, this is like Fort Lauderdale oh, okay. to West Palm beach. It's gotcha. like my area, like Miami to West Palm beach was my stopping grounds. Okay. Like, uh, it was like, and that's where, well, I'll skip ahead. I'll just don't skip ahead so fast, but yeah, just to finish this point, like they, it wasn't like now still, yeah. like they weren't like, Oh, Oh, you were, you're a skater. Awesome. Come and you know, here's your community. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Sorry. That was awesome. You had your community. Yeah. It wasn't like you were embraced into a different community because you skated, which is what happens now. Totally. You just had that built in like, Holy crap. There's like 10 skaters in the school. There was two, there was one other at my school and one from another school when I grew up, where yeah. I grew up. Yeah. So I had a, I had a crew of guys and girls. There was one sick girl skater girl. I say not majority, but we were young. Yeah. And, um, I mean, she was a ripper and, uh, you know, I got sponsored by a bunch of stores real quick or by a store and a bunch of like companies put me on their flow list. That's cool. Kind of early, early on. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, maybe I'm actually good at something. And then when I was in, you know, what I discovered about Florida really relatively quick is it fucking pours at two o'clock every hour, every afternoon. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? Well, the owner of that skate shop had like just threw a bunch of guitars in like the area where we would watch the DVDs. Mm-hmm. Or VHS at the, at the skate time. Videos. Yeah. yeah. And we were like discovering music on the skate videos and getting super jazzed on bands like Operation Ivy and um, Lifetime. And the, I can still remember like that Fugazi was, was on one. Maybe that was a surf video. Even James Addiction, they weren't famous yet. But they were on this. They may have been famous yet, but they weren't like mainstream that I was knowing about them from people at school. Yeah. And, um, it's still my favorite place to, to discover music is like watching clips on Instagram and being like, what's that song? Love it. That's cool. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the bones brigade videos, they had like youth brigade and all those skate rock tapes. That, that was my, my first kind of exposure to that on those, on the, all those old videos as VHSs, man. Like, and then you wait for the credits and see what the songs are. And so cool. Yeah. The, they, they were great. And then the ones that came out, the one that was like the big shifting point for music for me though, where it shifted that my focus, I think, almost for almost entirely from skating to music, was there was a team in the '90s called H Street. Yeah, Matt Hensley was on H Street. You know yep. Matt Hensley, yeah, right? Flocky Molly, yep, yep. And he was like, this is long before I knew him from Flocky, knew him from being in the band Flocky Molly. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know him. I don't know him personally, but he was my favorite, my favorite skater ever, ever, and probably he's like still in my even all these years later, still in my top 10, That's maybe cool. even top five. Um, and on that H Street video, it was like Operation Ivy everywhere. And so that's that was like the real like first piece. Like, because I didn't know what ska was. I didn't know like the different sects of pop punk. I certainly didn't know what ska was at all. Yeah. And I never identified them as ska, even though I think they were ska punk. But I just, yeah. I didn't know what the ska piece was. Mm-hmm. But they were so ferocious, you know, such a ferocity and, and messiness and yeah. even the recording is just sloppy as fuck and it's so good so good and so then i dove in all the lookout stuff got you and then the other i think they, then i started meeting people because i started going to shows that's that's the thing about 
moving to Florida that I didn't have in Connecticut, there was no shows, as I said before. Yeah. I started going to shows and, you know, I almost immediately met my future, like, lifer friends. Uh, like, my, my buddy John Owens, who's, like, this great unsung hero of South Florida, um, he would go on to be in some bands that got almost some great notoriety, like Seville was probably the best of them. But he was in so many bands, and but more, even if he'd never been in a band, he was kind of a galvanizing figure in the scene. That's cool. In the, in the, for the youngest mem- members of the scene. Yeah. And they were guys above us, but he was the only guy that they would talk to. And it, like once he got the nod, he could bring us all in to be educated by guys like Mike Tension and uh, and the guys in Strong Arm and those yeah. and these uh, scene leader guys. Okay. They started, <laughs> they were a bit older than us, at least in their involvement in the scene. I don't know if they were chronologically older than us, but they'd been in the scene. And Damien from S Friends, Rust, what culture at the time, you know? Yep. And, um, and then we found like other, like really young kids like us. I remember meeting Chad and Jordan, um, like maybe like the first or second week that I lived there. And, and I was like, oh my God, other kids, my, my age are here. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and I didn't realize I was meeting these people that I would know forever. And that like Chad and I would like stay so close and we keep like moving to the same cities together and everything. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's been, it, that was an incredible stroke of luck. My mom had a plan, you know? Yeah. You know, it, but you can't see that shit when you're young and pubescent and uh, myopic, you know, you're just, you're just kind of like, I want things to work out the way I want them to work out. This is not life. Yeah, exactly. and oftentimes because they don't, it works out better, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, when I lived in Newport, Rhode Island, that's where my mom. You know, after my dad died, my mom was raising three boys, and I got into skateboarding and punk rock. And my best friend John Jones, his brother was Chris Jones, and he sang in this band Verbal Assault. And that's where I really get into punk rock and skateboarding. And then fast forward like three years, four years later, after middle school, my mom's like, "We're gonna go to Southern Maryland because I got a job being a manager of an apartment complex." I'm like, "We did not want to leave me and my brothers. My, my, my older brother Tracy never left, and we refused to go to Southern Maryland. Then we go to Southern Maryland, where it's like." rebel flags and rednecks and racism and we're the only skaters in our school and people are picking on us and talking shit every day we get into fights we meet rusty pistachio he's our protector but then from that like we met rusty we met todd friend and then we started going to shows in dc which was 40 minutes away and so that that totally changed our lives but i went to maryland kicking and screaming just like you like i did not want to leave my friends, my punk rock skateboard friends, went thrift shopping after school. But then when I met there, it was just a different chapter in my life, and the timing was perfect that I got to be in the Rhode Island scene and then go and be in like this DC Maryland scene, and it was the best thing ever happened to me. But like, like you said, it's crazy who you met. Like, look at who you met there yeah. that would become the people in your life. You know, I, I know Rusty. Rusty was our maintenance man, and the my mom was Rusty's boss. He was the maintenance man, and he was a redneck with a mullet. And never even seen a skateboard, and then we totally changed Rusty's life. It's crazy. You fucked him up. <laughs> yeah, totally. But like, you don't think about it, and you meet all these people. Like you said, now Rusty's like my. He's became like a father figure. He's my band twenty five years. But like you said, you met Chad and all these guys who like you became friends with and bands together, and are still good friends, live in the same area, and that's incredible how that stuff happens, man. It's just 
timing, I guess, are meant to be. I'm, I'm not really probably a mix of both, you know? It's a mix of both, man. I, but I don't think I would have found it ever just based on age and my own needs and all that stuff. Yeah. Even though I needed it, I don't yeah. think I would have found it where I was. I really don't think so. And I honestly, I think about that all the time because what would have happened? I think like, I think I would have, look, I'm not straight edge and, uh, but, and I struggle with it. And, you know, like right now I haven't had a drink in a year and a half. I don't think. It's awesome. And, uh, I'm not an alcoholic or anything like that, but I just, I have, I have seasons where I just think like, maybe I'm drinking for the wrong reasons here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so I, and no matter what, I always just feel better. Yeah. Like when we, like when I met you, I, I hadn't had a drink in, in five years or something like that and didn't drink for another couple, three years. On the tour? Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Actually, you know what though? I was thinking about this. Anyway, I never claimed it. And I think the claiming of it has been helpful to me, not claiming of it because I'm not so hard to get on myself. On and yourself, like yeah. When you, get, when, when you get hard on yourself, maybe you drink. You don't get into the spiral. Yeah. And I just like, I, I just stop. And, you know, but I think that honestly, where I was growing up, I, I have a feeling I, I would have gone down the wrong path. I just, I have a hunch. And even later when I was in Florida, if, if the band, right when the band started doing well, I was really not doing well. And I'm talking about further seats forever then. Okay. And um, I was really not doing well. But as soon as the band started to do well, I was like, oh, wait, wait, I've got something that's like way more important than whatever my hangups are here. You know, I've got to deliver for these guys that are just like try to keep my whole self in order. Yeah. And it was, it was a great motivator. But, you know, when I was, um, when I was like newly in Florida and I was meeting all these kids I was exposed to that, that straight edge scene. Yeah. And I found like it wasn't just like the straight edge scene, but all the different subsects of the genre, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of, of the hardcore scene, which was lovely, like, but the umbrella that we all, that were all of the South Florida music scene. Um, it was the ethos and the ethics yeah. and the adherence to those. It was really appealing to me. I felt had a huge respect for it. But yeah, dude, I was thinking about this the other day. This is I'm, I, I can't believe that it took me until like last year to realize this because I talked to Pete about this, and I, I'd remembered, of course, that they were there. Mm-hmm. But I met you when you were still a roadie for them. Really, because, what, early nineties. Yeah, in the early nineties. I was in, you know, just some terrible punk rock band. Well, actually, we ended up being a really good band eventually, but we were not so good at that point. Was it Vacant Andes? Uh, yeah, it was Vacant Andes. Okay. And um, it, we showed up to – we were sick of it all. And there was an – I forget who was on the tour with you guys, but there was a local opener put on the bill okay. that didn't show up. And the, the um, I worked for that promoter. Perfect. Like, you know, passing out flyers and being a loader. Yeah. And, um, and so I was a loader that day and, or yeah, I was, you know, house loader, you know, bringing in lights and stuff like that. Yeah. Like load your your gear. Um, but later that night he came to me frantically like, dude, can you get your band here? This band's not showing up. And I was like, I don't think people will care. They'll just get to see the band they love more. But he was really concerned. Like it was a really good show. It's packed. Yeah. For, for a South Florida show, you know, it was pretty packed. And um, he just wanted everything to be as, as he planned it. And so I I called up my bandmates and they all swore they would be there. But the only one that showed up was Owens. 
John Owens shows up. The other guy's got, I don't know, the Bonebreak brothers got, their, their last name is Bonebreak, by the way. That's, that's a cool not name. like a nickname. That's yeah. That's Dan, you know, from when we were on tour, he was playing bass and dashboard. Okay. Um, but Dan and his brother showed up. Didn't show up. And they still made us play. Really? The guy still made us play. And so it was like, we didn't know what we were doing. And like, so the two guitar players are playing, but John could, like, somebody let us borrow one guitar. And somebody let us borrow a bass. So John didn't play bass. We didn't have our band. And the guy, the promoter was still like, you got to play. Jesus. But it wasn't so much like, you got to play to bail me this, bail me out of this. It was like, you got to play to bail me out of this or you're never playing anywhere in South Florida again. Damn. So we did it. And I remember that Pete came up to me afterwards and was like, you got balls. <laughs> and that's all he, all he said. And it wasn't even like judgmental. That sounds like somebody said, like, yeah. Knew, he seemed to like get this, the whole picture. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to be up here. I'm doing it because I'm forced to be, but I don't want to let the bands down. I love these bands. Yeah. And I don't want to play in front of these people because I want to have a band myself. But <laughs> up until that was like the closest thing to like a solo show like Dashboard does that I did for like another 10, 15 years or something. That is crazy, man. You got <laughs> yeah, balls. That's, pretty wild. that's fucking funny, yeah. man. I met you like briefly and, uh, I remember thinking like that dude's that dude's a cool dude because you have an air about you you know it's part of the front man thing that you would come to to have but I was like this guy's cooler man. than us I love meeting people <laughs> and having that feeling like this guy's cooler than us <laughs> Thank I you, love man. that um, like, scenes need big brothers you know what I mean yeah 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 um, I, I don't know how much older I I just turned fifty am I a lot older than you you're about five years older than oh, me oh shit yeah. okay. but that's not a, that's all that's a lot when you're young it totally is like yeah. when when I think about looking at like. Christian Asoy and Steve Cavalier, who I know now in magazines, they, they put them on this. They're like way up in these magazines, but they're only a couple years older than me. You think you think they're like so Doesn't much older? Him. No. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, so vacant. Andy, so let's see. When did Vacant Andy start? Like, how old were you in that band? I don't know. They started long before I was in the band. Um, but I think I started in that band. That's. 16 or 17 honestly my memory of all that shit is a little hazy could have been a bit older i don't know yeah because you were on the second album the agency or something right so my yeah my next band after let's see how to go vacant andy's there's so much overlap and all the bands in south florida there weren't enough musicians so everybody was in everybody else's band that's cool that's cool it was cool that's a total new york thing new york bands do that too for sure oh yeah and uh, so I was in, I don't know what order it was in, but I was in like uh, the Bacon Andes and I was in Red Letter Day, which was the precursor to S Friends Rust. So basically Rust. that original line. Yep. So it's that original lineup without Damon, Damien. And then I was in the first iteration of Shy Halud with Damien, but like only for two practices. Wow. And then I was in um, the agency and I was in, I was never in Shailud. That, that Shailud hadn't been a thing yet, but Matt yeah. was trying to put together the band that he would want. Yeah. And yeah, I was not going to work out in that band. You know, it's too good. They were way too good for for me. I don't mean that in like cockiness. I mean no, they were no, no. Prof- way too proficient, and they were doing yeah. something that I was just nowhere near at the time. Yeah. I was happy to just see it um, for for a brief moment, and then I was in a see. Then the agency, and then. Um, and then we started further, yeah, for the maybe program. further started before the agency, hard to remember. And then I started Dashboard while I was in further. As a side project, right? Yep. 
Was Looker in? Was Steve Looker in Further Seems Forever too? Right. Steve Looker was in um, Culture. Was okay. he in Culture? Okay. Or was was he in Birdville? Oh man, Looker was in. Looker seemed to be in every band, but he wasn't in. Yeah. Okay. He wasn't in Further. Um, Further was all the strong arm guys plus Matt from Shyhalud until Matt from Shyhalud was like, "There's I I this isn't my thing." Yeah. I want I want only screaming. Yeah. And so that was cool because. <laughs> That was cool because cause Matt Matt like really knows what he wants, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For do sure. you know Do you know Matt? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you know he's like, he's kind of a visionary, you know. Totally. And he can be like, I, I guess it can be, uh, if you don't, I guess if you didn't like look at him the way I did, which is like, dude, this guy is smarter than everybody here. Um, you might think like he's being superior, but he's he's never ever like that. Just because he he can hear all that music in his head. He's a shredder he's, he's too. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like Brian Wilson. You know, he could hear the whole orchestration mm-hmm. before anybody had a chance to play their own note. You know, he's like, no, this is how it goes. Yeah, I think he was ahead of his time in- with Shia Lou too. That sound for sure back then. I really think- oh, so influential. I mean, if you yeah. see like, if strong arm influenced Shia Lou, that influenced Poison the Well, and then mm. on and on and on. Yeah. You know, there was a great kind of borrowing of of people's sounds and no judgment about it. Whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, we're raising the game. We're creating an identity. And yeah. then uh, on top of that, I was like the fill-in guy. Oh, Chad is going to be on tour with Newfound Glory. Uh, excuse me. Chad is going to be on tour with Shailud. So New- what's Newfound going to do for their tour? We'll get Chris to play guitar. That kind of stuff. That, what, what year was that? Do you remember what tour that was? Newfound Glory? Uh, I think it was like 98, 99. Wow. 99, I think. It's, when would they start? 99? Yeah, th- yeah, I think around then, yeah. I think it was their first tour. They That's did their crazy. first tour without Chad. That's crazy because he was Shai Lude. Yeah. And he wasn't like looking to split. He wasn't looking to like choose. I don't yeah. think he ever was, you know, between so, the two. He made a choice not being Shai Lude, I think, but I don't think it had to do with because of not because of Newfound Glory, I don't think. So when you were in high school and you started playing music, what were your goals like when you graduated? Did you want to be a musician or you had other, other goals? I had. I had like a kind of uh, cheat planned out okay. because I, I was pretty aware that like the kind of music I wanted to make was never going to be like the kind of music that, that gave you a career. Okay. And I also had this vision, idea that like, who gets those anyway? Mm-hmm. Like, even if you made that music, who gets those? And if you get those, you don't get those if, cause while living in South Florida, Mm-hmm. It's just not a at that time. At that time, yeah. Before the, there was a boom, but in the you know when I was the, before the boom, this is what I was thinking. So I, I had like I was obsessed with Descendants. Awesome, greatest. And I knew like oh the greatest, greatest. You know like uh, your your recent episodes with Milo were incredible. Thank you, man. Um, and when I spoke, I also befriended those guys by being. Well, it was all at the time, but uh, so I didn't meet Milo too much later. But I, I have love a friend Stefan. Yeah. Oh, I love him. But I, w- I was a loader at the Hot Water All. Uh, who is it? Hot Water All and Lesson Jake, maybe? Okay. Tour. And I was a loader on, on, the, on two of their shows. And I've been, I've been friends with Stefan ever since. And like to this day, we talk almost every day. That's cool. So, like, there's no division. I love this scene. You know, like, here's these, like, yeah, yeah. that's the dude from Descendants. And he's talking to a loader. <laughs> it was so cool. I said that he was talking to the guy from Dashboard. I wasn't in Dashboard. I was just, 
I hadn't even found any tight pants yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, (laughs) but there was no division, no division. So my plan was like, I loved that whole thing where like uh, Milo goes to college. Milo goes and he becomes a scientist. As Love you know that. from talking to him, you knew anyway, but you, yeah. you, you know, he elaborated on with your, on the podcast. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, wait a second. So he's, and then they came back and did everything sucks. And I was Incredible. like, so wait a second, you can like, oh, which is like blew everybody's mind. Dude. Change punk rock. Absolutely change punk rock. That's what I was trying to explain yeah. to him on the podcast too. Like, like I don't think you realize how how much of an impact it had. And I wasn't trying to say like it was big in numbers. It was just big in like one of the all time most incredible comeback records after like fifteen years ever. It was perfect front to back. It's yeah, insane. it's a it's a perfect record. Yeah. Would and you, so would you say that? Sorry to cut you off. I know Ramones were poppy and they were pop pop melodic punk, but they were more, more like a doo feel. Wouldn't you say the sentence was like? original if you want to call it pop punk because they had like these love songs and these melodies and nobody in punk was singing about love songs man right i guess i guess what they did was what they did was i guess like a lot can be said for the ramones putting melody totally in um there's never enough that can be said about the ramones putting melody in punk rock yes but there's and you know like Sex Pistols have a lot of melody. And, you know, I think The Clash, obviously, their whole thing is melody. But by and large, the bands that were not not on the top echelon, they didn't have a lot of melody. They had fervor and they had angst and they had maybe like a political stance. And even the ones that weren't political or or that weren't like railing against Reagan, maybe they were like, talking about girls maybe maybe they were i don't know yeah but i couldn't hear it because it sound it's had the same tonality exactly. delivery as as like the as cello might have had you know yeah exactly and um and then along comes descendants and they they don't get the credit they deserve even though they get a lot they never they'll never get enough credit for for changing the whole dynamic of punk rock and saying basically to all kids coming from then on like oh this is the most this is as important as anything else. Melody is as important as what you're going to say. Agreed. That's what I, that's what really sunk its teeth into me with, with descendants. And you can be smart. You can wear glasses. You can be into science. You can sing about farts. You can not take yourself so seriously. You don't have to have a political stance or be against everything like all that. They made it like just cool for like people who thought they were nerds. You know, it's yeah. like you even said like he made glasses cool in the scene. Yeah, I mean seriously, he literally did. Remember the hardcore scene? Suddenly, everybody was able to wear their glasses to shows. <laughs> That's true. Right? It's, it's so and, like, you true. You would never dare. I you know. wouldn't dare wear them. And like maybe it was partially because like you didn't want him to get knocked off, but the other part was like you never saw anybody else wear glasses. No, no, wear mine. No, not on stage yeah. either. Yeah. And he comes in, but like not on. Not only am I wear my glasses, they're gigantic. Yes. So, so um, his thing with like music and education sort of like have to be a, a thing, but that's a personal. The, like I come to know this later through things like your podcast conversation with him, that that was about a, a true love that he was chasing as well. Yes. And like that same thing with like you know bad religion. You know, you got the he's in the he he became a professor. I think probably concurrently at the same time professor. as being in bad religion. Yeah. Yeah, he became a professor, and um, 
And so my like mini version of that was like, well, if I became a teacher, there's seems to be a whole lot of like vacation spots that are slot, slotted in. You take the whole summer off. That's sick. Yeah. You have spring break, you have fall break. You have these long, a lot of three days, three day weekends. I mean, teaching is an incredibly hard job, but, um, as many of us are discovering homeschooling and everything. Yes. Um, but, but nonetheless, there are these built-in windows. If your if your other career is touring, you wouldn't have like if you were like a legal aid or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So that was my plan. I was like, okay, so if I become a teacher, I can still have my really shitty music career for 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 as long as I want to. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that was my that was my plan. But it still revolved around music. It wasn't like I want to teach. And I'll also do music. I was like, I want to do music, but I've got to find something that that makes sense for for how to live a life of value. Because yeah. that was something my mom had hammered into my head. You know, got to have a life of value. I love that. So you you so you went to college in uh, Boca Raton. I went to college in that city, Boca Raton, and uh, Boca Raton. Boca Raton is like the school. I'm sorry, FAU is a Florida Atlantic University is a, is a full fledged like state university now, and it was. I certainly fully accredited when I went, but it was like basically commuter school when I went. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. But I, but I say that to say like, I didn't have any, any version of the college experience. Like I went to school with people that were like coming to school in the afternoons on for the, making a three hour hole in their work day to come to college gotcha. to advance their degree or get their second degree or something. Yeah. So there were, there were no, almost like it was like really lopsided for, there weren't a whole lot of like college aged people yeah. at that school. So it was, it was a sort of strange experience, but I, I stayed, I lived in Pompano at the time, which is between, which is like near Fort Lauderdale. Oh, I know Pompano Beach very well. Man. You know Pompano, right? Yeah. The Warp Tour is Pompano. where you, you're not allowed to swear on stage at any time the Warp Tour would play Pompano Beach. It was a, it was a known rule. It's a weird ordinance. Yeah. But, but yeah. And, yeah, it's a weird, but whatever. The scene was cool. Yeah, and I liked it, and I didn't want to leave it. And so that 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 school seemed like a good plan for me. And so I worked at the elementary school while I was in school, and my band started working. And as I got closer and closer to finishing school, as I went, <clears throat> I kind of tackled the curriculum really hard, and did more credits than you should at a time because I wanted to plow through it. Yeah, and I got basically as far really quickly as far as like needing to do my student teaching by the time that I'd already, by the time I'd done that, I'd already been in further and further had had a surprisingly good beginning of a career. Um, one that was bigger than any of my previous expectations for the best I could possibly do. Yeah. To be quite honest. Yeah. And it still wasn't like, Oh, this could be our job, but it was far better than the best I could do in my mind. Gotcha. And then by that point, I was doing further and dashboard. And then even later, I was just doing dashboard. I already left further. And the band got signed to Vagrant Records. And I left my school job, my job at the elementary school and middle school. And, my, and I left college. And I never did my student teaching. After, were you a special ed teacher? I was a special ed, ed teacher's aide. Oh, okay. So I was like that person that, that stayed with either one or two um, children with special needs through the course of the day. And so, and, uh, and then I worked, I had a kind of hellish 
looking back, it's kind of a grueling schedule. It was a really rewarding job, but I worked in the preschool in the morning. Yep. So I had to be there at like something like 6 a.m. And then when my shift at the preschool ended at like 9.30, I would go to the regular school and work with the special needs kids till school let out. And then I was the assistant director of the after school program. Wow. And so I'd stay till like 7.30 and then I'd go to practice or shows. So I never Damn. slept, yeah. never slept, you know. That's uh, but it wasn't like, I mean, it was, it was long hours, but it wasn't like ditch digging or anything like that. But, yeah, exactly. But, but I, but I, I, I learned a lot about, uh, patience. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, man, working with kids. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, so let's see. So dashboard is basically almost like a side project for you, right? Yep. And then was was an EP wasn't the first EP drowning on Fiddler or was that Swiss Army well, Romance? That actually that actually came out after. Okay. Um after Swiss Army Romance was the first thing the further guys we were we were not dragging our feet. We were working really hard and we just worked really slowly. Yeah. <clears throat> so we had our EP out and it was it was selling really great on the indie label it was on. We got picked up by Tooth and Nail which was a we all knew that was going to happen. That's awesome. And I'm not sure that we really wanted it to happen. We wanted to go to a, a different label. Okay. <clears throat> But uh, the band Strongarm that the all the four guys, other four guys and further were in before that, each man had one of those key man clauses that said they had to go to Tooth and Nail if any of if any of if sorry if the, if Tooth and Nail wanted their new band they had the right to put it out. Gotcha. And and that ended up being a great relationship anyway, so that turned out fine. Um, even though you know it's nicer to have the ability to make choices but they, yeah. and we didn't really have that ability. Yeah. But there, but we ended up with good people. And as a matter of fact, the person that was running take hold records, Chad, um, who put out our EP that we were so enamored with, he went to work for tooth and L and that really made things easier for us. It's, it's nice. Uh, yeah. it's good company to remain in. Exactly. Anyway, the further guys really liked the dashboard stuff. I bring, it wasn't dashboard. I didn't have a name for it, but I bring these songs in. And they would say like, yep, this one's for us. This one's not, but hey man, it's really good. And they're like, do you know those guys at all? I probably met them before for sure. I'm not sure. They're like, so they're, first of all, they don't like, as if I were to describe them without telling you what they look like, it would, you need to understand that the anomaly here. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> like in this, in, in a period of like, there was a hardcore period in hardcore that was real pretty boy. Gotcha. And um, these guys were grand, grown men in that period. What year, like they were what just, year would they, that be? So I don't know when we started, but Strong Arm, Strong Arm probably started in the mid-90s. Yeah. <clears throat> we started in like 98, 97, 98. Okay. But they're giants, man. They're like 6'6", 6'3", 6'2", 6'4", and I am not. <laughs> close to six feet i'm not at all just so like me and the land of giants you know yeah and i was more like i was more like clean cut pretty boy hardcore kid yeah handsome, and handsome hardcore. Were like, yeah i like that yeah and they were like and they were like real hardcore like they were just like grizzly men gotcha grown ass grizzly men <laughs> and and but i tell you this so you can picture these beasts yeah i picture them now to tell you that they're like the most encouraging, soft-spoken, genuine guys you could ever hope to meet. I love that. You know, like the, the guys you would never approach 
at a show to give a flyer. They just put it on their car instead. Yeah, big but teddy bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they but they'd <laughs> probably be like, "Oh, sick! I'll go to that show." You know? Yeah. Um, I love they, that. They were like, they were like, you know, we don't like this for they, this one. Yes, let's give this a shot. This one, man, I, no, that's not a good fit. But it's good. This is really good, man. Mm-hmm. Like, so they would take a lot of time in their rejection to tell me why a song was good, and I learned a lot about that in that time too. I like that. And then it started to happen, like where they pinpointed something before I did. Specifically, Chad, Big Chad, the the bass player who did, you probably know him from when he was like out touring doing merch for... for I do for know Big Chad, that's right. There was little Chad yeah. and Big Chad. Yes, Chad's awesome. Yeah. Drive their trucks, yeah. do their merch. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yeah, he's he's the, he's, he's the best. Okay. And, um, and he kind of pinpointed, he's like, dude, this is, you're not like making a bunch of songs here and they're not pitching... They, they, I know you've got further in mind, but you're doing something here, man. There's something happening that isn't further. And I think you should do this. And so he started to kind of group together the s- songs that he thought were unique to each other yeah, or unique from, from, from further and, and, and related to each other. And he started helping me between him, Dan Bonebreak from that would later be in dashboard and Amy Fiddler who ran Fiddler records. Yep. who's my best friend. They kind of, those three, kind of circled the wagons around me until I started understanding like, okay, something, something I'm doing something here. So I, I put the batch of songs they were all talking about together. And I went to the guy, James Wisner who produced, would go on to produce so much of the dashboard stuff and produced newfound glory and paramore. And he did, uh, Academy is, he did all of uh, so many like Astrid's rust and, he did the further records and tons of hardcore records, under oath records, just great producer. What's his name again? James Paul Wisner. Okay. And um, I couldn't even go into listing this his stuff. Man. I'm looking up insane. for sure. Yeah. Oh, dude, he's the best. I just made a record with him, again, and uh, it's not going to come out for a little while. We were going to put it out this this year, and maybe we still will. But I thought it'd be on tour this year, so we're going to put yeah. a pin in it for a minute. Yeah. It makes but sense. anyway, so I went and I made the record while we were waiting to finish the further record. So this actually got like printed, Amy put it out on Fiddler Records and I got, it was a Swiss Army Romance as everybody knows it. Yeah. But it came out in uh, 2000 before we recorded The Moon Is Down, even though I was in further long time, long time before Dashboard Mm -hmm. even was conceived. So I go down the road and they're like, the bandmates are like, sell it at the merch table. We don't have a lot of merch to sell. It'll look good. It wasn't, and like, it'll be good for you. And I was, you know, people would think like, why would they do that? Why would they want you selling it? But there, it was, there was a spirit of community. It was so supportive of you, yeah. And, um, and then they even had me open some shows. Like if the opener wouldn't show up, Chris, why don't you play, play some songs? I don't have a guitar. Well, it just so happens I packed your guitar. Dang. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they were badass. But nobody was doing that, Chris. Nobody was doing that back then. Like. Nobody was just on there with a guitar playing at a punk show. Even you're like a hardcore punk skateboarder kid who started doing stuff acoustically. It's crazy. That, that that's as punk as it gets to me. Like just thinking about that and the tour we do with you in 2001. Like just having the balls to even do that is so punk. And I, I I give you so much respect for that. I thought that was incredible. And like how far you came since then, and how many people do that now that come from our scene. Anyway, we'll get back to it in a second. But and one more thing too, I thought it was so amazing that Amy is with Josh 
Matt and they have a kid. It's so cool. I love Josh. And I just, it's so cool. Cause you said, you mentioned Amy Fiddler. It's so awesome. Oh yeah. So, so cool. yeah. I mean, I mean like what, what kind of small world are we still in our community? I know. I can believe friend, that. Our friend Josh that we know from a whole different place marries our friend Amy that we know from a whole different place. The scene just getting more and more together and the Madden boys, you know, being entrenched in the hardcore scene, even though they come from a different scene and totally different, you know, scene. it's, yeah, man, it's pretty, it's pretty great. You know, the boundaries as people see them, they're real bold. Um, yeah, I agree. Aren't exactly what they think, you know, like when, when I went on a tour with you guys, you guys took me out in 2001, I think it was. Yep. And, and it was this kind of stamp of validation for people to not to stop hating on me, but to give me a chance to either confirm the reason that they hated me more or to, to give me a, a, a uh, begrudging listen yeah give him a chance um, yeah and they did a credit to your fan base you know they they i i think i i definitely sold more merch on that tour than i'd ever sold before because they i'd won them over and you put me in a position to do that so grateful to you for doing that allowing me up there with my really different approach to what i still thought of as hardcore and no one else did but that's all right i, I love they, that but People listening, there was face to face H2O Snapcase dashboard. Such a sick bill, man. Sick bill. And it was, I think 90% of my set was without my band. I mean, I had a yeah. band only, I only had just decided I should have like a drummer and a bass player. Right before that tour, we didn't even learn very many songs together. Maybe we had two songs in the beginning and four songs by the end. But anyway, I wasn't playing all that many songs. But I played, I played to your crowd, I played to that crowd. And and some nights it just went down in flames, but other nights it was just this glorious celebration of like, yeah, there's room, man. There's room. There's room to grow and change. And this, I've never thought, I think you could really easily paint the wrong picture of the hardcore scene and the punk rock scene I agree. as being, as being like, um, like forbidding yes. so many things. Yes. And I don't think that's true, man. I think there's, there's freedom. You're given freedom. You don't have to dress the same. You don't have to look. You don't have to have yeah. the exact same opinions. You don't have to have the same approach to the songs you're going to sing. You don't even have to have distortion pedal or an electric guitar. It turns out. Yeah. You just have to get up there with it. If if you have the conviction that is shared. Yep. In that scene, you get a chance. Whether you fail or succeed, that's that's a different story. But you get a ch you're allowed your chance. Yeah, I I agree 100. percent Were you were you nervous up there every night? Oh yeah. Do you, do you remember that I didn't? You, how, how you remember this? But I don't. I know that I didn't speak to anyone on that tour barely at all. I was like from the hardcore scene, and I already knew this worked because I knew that our hardcore. Well, I'd come to find out that our hardcore scene was different in this way. But in my hardcore scene in South Florida, there weren't a whole lot of lines of division. There just weren't enough bands. Mm -hmm. So like, it was not weird to have a ska band, and like and a, a pop punk band and a hardcore band on the same bill. Yeah. And, and maybe even a jam band or something like that, or psychedelic band yeah. because there weren't enough bands to put together one strict kind of bill for a while. Yeah. Diverse so packages. You, you were allowed to, you were allowed to do your thing and all the fans were so desirous of having like a, a scene of their own that they allowed everybody to have the same encouragement. And the band that they really wanted to see. 
you didn't know. No one ever knew who the band they really wanted to see was. It's true. Because everybody got the same same thing from the audience, which I love is 100%. That. Yeah, I love that. So it was a little bit of a rude awakening when I got around to finally getting up to, say, like, even northern Florida or Georgia, only even that far, and finding out, oh, oh, I'm not, like, super welcome here. But they are letting me go up there, and I'm going to give it a shot. And I was, man, I don't think I experienced stage fright really before. Yeah. That, and I have never shaken it since that. It it got it got it's got it got bad and stayed bad. I mean, really, even now with all this all this experience, but it doesn't. I don't think of it as this terrible negative. I really kind of enjoy it now. It's like, hey man, when this goes away you're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. So hope it doesn't go away. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, I mean, don't you think that that was like, let's just back up a little minute. I mean, it was a little bit of a radical thing for all three of your bands to say, yeah, let's put this dweeb on this show. <laughs> Not dweeb. And let's, give him, let's, let's give him the whole tour. But yeah, I didn't speak. I, I don't think I, I, I know, I, I remember every conversation I had with everybody else, and I can because I didn't have that many. I was yeah. just like stuck. Like, I was head down, like, oh, don't make waves, buddy. And nobody was making me feel that way. Nobody. Everybody was so – I talked to Moon a lot. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the um, I just didn't want to be like – I never wanted to ask for a single thing. If I had like, oh, shit, I, I lost my cable, there would be no way I was going to ask anybody. And <laughs> everybody would have been like, here's five. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just didn't, didn't want to do it. And then, like, as the tour went on, Rusty and I started chatting – what a warm guy, giant hearted guy that Hell guy yeah. is. And, and he started like, Hey man, you should hang a little bit, you know? And that's when it started. And I started getting pulled into like getting feeling like a part of the social thing that was happening on that tour. Yeah. And I'm so glad he did, you know, cause then I have that memory too. Yeah, man. I remember like we were rocking your shirts. Like we were definitely like psyched you were on there. It was something that was, refre oh. it was refreshing, man. Can I tell you, you just said you, you were rocking the shirts. Can I just tell you this story? I know that you won't remember this, but this is like how you, you affected my life in all these incredible ways. Because before I met you, I'd already been a massive fan. I'd seen you so many times and I lived and breathed your, your music and your lyrics. And you, um, I mean, I think you can hear that on, on, in my lyrics. I bet you can, if you like, just put them side by side what you're singing about, the way you're phrasing stuff, the, mm -hmm. the cadence of your vocals. I know there's a an evident, really evident kind of side-by-side -side experiment you can do and go, oh, yeah. I'm going to do it. Kid, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when I um, – sorry, I lost my train of thought. About, about wearing your shirt and – Oh, yeah, so get this, dude. You're never, you'll never remember this. But I want to say it was – I want to say it was Buffalo, Buffalo or Syracuse. And we go to play and I just could like, it was the thing I had reason to dread. I, I, every night when I'd go up and be like, there's no way they're going to allow this. Like forget <laughs> liking me. I was never con con concerned with whether they'd like me or not. I figured that was up to me. But that thing of like, what if they don't allow this, mm. which never occurred until it did. And I walk on stage and man, I started getting pelted with quarters. Like, and I'm not talking lightly thrown. I'm getting, I had like a, uh, a black, like a black, wasn't black eye, but I had like a black indentation under my eye for about four days after that from one of the quarters that really got some. I think I remember. My guitar got thrashed yeah. to hell. And like, oh, you know, I, I'm like, fuck. 
and you know, when I got on stage, I looked over. It just so happened, if, if I remember the venue, that the dressing room was just to the left of the stage. And I looked over, and the door was closed. And I was like, oh, at least they're not seeing this. You know, I felt good about that. <laughs> and so I was just like, all right, I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna cut this. No one's gonna care. I'll just do three songs. And um, and then I I go to get off stage, and you're standing there. You're all standing there. And a couple of the guys from Snapface, it was like your whole band. <clears throat> With you in the middle with your arms crossed on your chest, looking at me like it wasn't judgmental. It was like, what are you, what are you going to do? Mm. And I was walking towards you guys like, oh, this is a this is a do or die moment. Like they're standing there to see what if I'll rise to this occasion. And so I turned around and I went back and I played my set and I got more and more quarters, but then fewer and fewer as the songs went on. And I'm not going to say I won that crowd over because I didn't. Wow. But I finished the set. I finished the set. And I dude, this is the part that just makes gives me chills. I go to walk off stage. You go, where are you going? I and did. I go, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And I go, look in. He goes, what about that? And you pointed at the other quarters. And I go, what, the, those? And you go, yeah, that's laundry money for like two weeks, bro. And you earned it. Go get it. <laughs> I went back up there and I got all the quarters up. And then you ran back to the merch stand and you grabbed a shirt and you put it on. Oh, and you went, shit. Oh, and when you're set, yeah, I think you were like, you were, you were, there was a couple bands be- between us and you went up to play. You had one of my shirts on and you said, that's the most hardcore thing you're going to see tonight. That's the most punk, punk motherfucker in here. And oh, I sold shit. so much merch that night. <laughs> I did not win that crowd over. It had nothing to do with me. It was 100% you saying, I just got goosebumps, man. That shirt. Fuck. And, you, and those guys all went and they bought their, sh- their shirts. Holy shit. It I just got goosebumps. That's a, I'll never forget it. That's a I'm crazy so glad story. I can tell you that story. Holy shit. So oh. Here's your laundry oh, money. So good being a- What's that? <laughs> Here's go, your laundry money. Oh shit, <laughs> dude! And I used it. I used it. I used it all. Oh my god, man! I just made myself happy. That that makes me really happy, dude. Holy shit! Yeah, that was good. That's a good moment. And Moon had your back too. Moon's a badass. You had your back out there too, for sure. Oh, for sure. Scared. For sure, for sure. I, as a matter of <laughs> fact, I'm pretty sure she was up there like slinging the merch for me. Like, I'm like, don't you want to sell your merch? You're getting creamed right now. No, fuck it. I'll say, right. It sounds. It sounds like her. How, how long was it? that tour? For like it was so long too. Yeah, but I think I was only half. Okay. Um, pretty sure it was in half because then I then I peeled off to do that New Amsterdam's tour that I'd already accepted, which is not from the Get Kids other band. So were you not not on that tour particularly, but were you getting like there was no internet really back then? Were you, was there a buzz on you or word of mouth in in the other parts of the punk scenes, not just the tour you on that you felt like? Nobody cared. Was there a part of that scene where people were stoked to see you and you felt that love? I felt, yeah, I knew it. I was like aware that something was happening like in the way that like, yeah, I'm hearing about me from other people. Okay. Way pre-internet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was like Napster days, you know, beginning of Napster. Oh shit. Yes. Which I think, you know, my band wouldn't be here if people hadn't stolen all my records in Napster. Mm. We ended up being... In uh, 2003, I think, our our record was the most pirated record of, wow. of the year. Even amongst, you know, like these giant, huge bands. Um, but, you know, I, at that time, I was starting to hear it, and we were starting to get some write-ups and spin and, sh- and shit like that. And, and um, I think we got an MRR piece. And, um, 
a couple of other, you know, s- small articles in, 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 in rags, you know? Yeah. So how many um, tours did you do? F- so you went right from that tour to the other tour. How many tours did you do? And then you realize like, Oh shit. Like did, did, did you show, like, did you play a show and like, Holy shit, people are connecting. Like, was it one particular show? Was it a solo show? Were you opening up for another band? So the first time I was like, wait, they're singing like crazy was uh was before like well before i met any of you guys okay in 2000 and i did when i started uh dashboard it was a side project like you said yeah and then um i was doing further and it like we just started to kind of not get along and 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 there was a lot of tension and i couldn't figure out why because everything on paper was like this is the best thing that's ever going to happen to us Mm -hmm. like our, our band is going to have this like we i never was fool enough to think like we're gonna pay our rent with this but it was yeah. like oh we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be able to do this for as long as as we can yeah as we you know and and let's get, and we're gonna go for it um but the band was you know this band would that band would probably be here today without ever having expanded um if those guys had taken a little bit more of a break between strong arm and further Gotcha. But Stronger and I toured so heavily and then they jumped right into further and they just, they had been burned out. Yeah. And so I'm here going like the only cheerleader, like we got a tour, we got a tour. And I also was the guy booking shows mm. for, for, for most of the, sh- for most of the shows or for most of my bands. Yeah. So I did that with further only to be hit up with like, no, we're, we're not going to do that, which I'd never heard from anybody. Yeah. So I was like, all right, this is, this is weird. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I wasn't mature enough to handle that stuff yet. I hadn't had enough life experience to understand other people's needs. I just understood the group need. Yes. So I didn't kind of consider the individual feelings and I would, I'd get real down about it. Mm-hmm. I it just didn't have the, I didn't have the life experience to be as understanding as I, I am now. Yeah. And um, nobody was making any bad decisions, but it felt like they were. Yeah. And then two of the guys had like a big blowout and I was already thinking about, maybe this isn't the place for me. And, um, which seemed like suicide. I was like, this is my last chance. You know, this is my best and only chance to do this. Yeah. But when they, I remember they had this fight, this argument and, uh, and somebody, but you know, the last thing said was like this fucking, this band is over or this is over or something like that. And in my head and then out loud, I said, you got that right. And I, and I walked out and I was done. I was just, just kind of done. And it was like this horrible feeling because there was no, that's not a victory moment, man. That's a no. moment of defeat. Yeah. You know, so I walked out like, oh, I, that's it. So what I had planned before that tour we were rehearsing for was even going to go out was the one month I was ever going to do on this side project dashboards that I had. Yep. And it was going to be, it was, um, I think it was the whole month of October, 2000 that I booked shows and um, I booked, I had the whole month, I think I had maybe 15 dates, but they're spread over the whole month. And I was all right. I had people to stay with around that I was going to do that do that with. Yeah. And I thought, I thought I'd go on this tour, maybe I'll meet some people or maybe I'll talk to people before I leave and figure out my next band when I get back. It was never like, oh, Dashboard is what I, it's still a side project in my head. Mm-hmm. And um I got out and, and like, 
during the first week, I played a show and the Movie Life guys were playing the venue the next night. It was in Connecticut, as a matter of fact. Great band. Yeah, it was in New London, I think. What's that club called? Elbow? Um, Elbow Room? Not the Elbow Room. Not the Elbow Room. It's something. I know you're talking. New London? Uh, fuck, I don't know. Not Toad's Place. It's some other one. I don't know. Yeah, Toad's is in New Haven. Anyway, yeah. um, played this played this, this joint, and, and the only people that came were the movie like guys. Oh, wow. And I played my show, and, and they came up. They were like, hey, we got a bunch of shows. Like, it's too bad you're, you're like, oh, well, I don't have a tour booked. I'm just, like, doing the shows when I can. They, were, they just put me they put me on their tour. That's and amazing. so I did, like, every day I didn't have booked, I'd do with the movie life. And they were amazing. And then I think they had a tour with Midtown, and they talked Midtown. They had a portion of the tour was with Midtown, and they talked to Midtown into letting me open a couple of the shows. Awesome. And I knew Midtown through Newfound Glory. Yeah. So they let me do that. But so before I got to that stage where I met the movie life guys, all of a sudden I'm finding these kids sit, singing along the people that did come to my show. There weren't a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's 15, you know, but that's a lot for me at the time. Yeah. I expected zero and they're singing along wholeheartedly. And then I got to this one place somewhere in Georgia, which I thought was like the beginning of where like word of mouth would be able to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, from South Florida. <laughs> yeah. and, and there was about a hundred kids there. Wow. They were all singing and I thought, oh shit, you know, Chad knows everybody here. <laughs> Chad knows everybody everywhere, as you know. But like yeah. Chad, no, Chad had a like big connection with the Atlanta scene. Yeah. Through Shia and then New Fun Glory. And I was like, he's probably passing my tape around here. That's what I thought. And then I got to Raleigh and that was the one where I was like, oh man, and they made, I think I played with Hope's Fall. And I played after them, and they was like their their show. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, sick burn, guys. You know, thanks. Um, I get it, but I'll do it. You know. And the crowd stuck around, and they built it on every single world. And I thought this is either the best thing ever or the best, most elaborate prank that Hope's Fall could ever pull on me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but that was the night that I would, that probably was the night where I was like, okay, this side project thing maybe deserves just a little more attention. But yeah. by the time I got out with, with um, by the time those bands that I mentioned, and then eventually even Newfound Glory said, come out and play while we basically are like, when doors open for, for 15 minutes. Th- those were the chances that like really, that I really bit into because I was like, all right, this is, this is like do or die. I'm yeah. gonna know, I'm gonna know if this is a side project, or I'm going to know if this is like the band I'm going to be in. And mm-hmm. that somehow that tour just kept getting extended that October, like never ended. But the best part about it is when I was, it wasn't like I, inst- there was no overnight success. I think at the time, if you remember, like when the band had its like watershed moment, a lot of people were like acting like it was overnight success. It really took like two, three years of, of touring about 300 days a year. Yeah. You guys grinded for sure. And, um, which I would prefer than an overnight success myself because yeah. that life experience was incredible. Yes. And, sure. um, and so, but when I did come home, it was like the first thing to address was the further thing. Cause we had a record written that, that tooth and nail still wanted, even though they knew we weren't a band anymore and we weren't going to be a band. Yeah. Um, or at least I wasn't going to be in the band. And, uh, I said, you know, it'd be a shame if we didn't record this. And um, the other guys agreed. And I said, but I, I don't think I can be the singer. I want to be up front with you here. 
I'm not going to be the singer of this band unless you guys have changed your mind and we're going to start, you know, touring. Yeah. And they, they really had, they really hadn't, but they were game. They wanted to make the record. And I'm so glad we did. It was an important record to us personally. Mm-hmm. And so we made the moon is down and then, um, and then they went on the hunt for a new singer. And I, I helped, they had a guy first named Gene and then I helped them and they, they found the hunt continued and, I remember them sending me a tape with Jason and I was like, this is your guy, dude. And then I met him, met Jason in Minneapolis somewhere. And, uh, I liked him so much. I was like, dude, you guys are going to, this is going to be a great fit. So I felt good that I was able to not only like, like the next singer, but like him enough that I could be like, guys, let's go, you know, come and open for me. Cause now I'm starting to do well. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So they started touring with me and then Jason and I became like really very close friends. So like this weird brotherhood of guys that have been the singer of that that band, you know, even though we weren't at the in the band at the same time, we feel like we were yeah. bandmates. Yeah. So I've I've loved that. What year was that? Two thousand one? Two thousand one was when the Moon is Down came out. Yeah. So we we probably recorded in early two thousand probably right when I got home from that dashboard tour. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Um please rate, review, uh subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on. I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.